And we're back. How are you, Lewis? How you been? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a while. I got a tattoo, and I'm just a bit like too cool to like to make time for this anymore. So you know, I'm going a bit. I've got a bit Hollywood with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You showed me the artwork, and I mean, you spoke about it on the last episode. Mm. So you said you're cooler. What's the perks? What are the perks of uh, having a tattoo? Like, what, what 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 new avenues or opportunities have been opened up to you now? Well, people just assume you're you're like fifteen percent tougher. So, like, I've noticed people step out my way more walking down the street, yeah. um, which is definitely a perk. I've been wearing very short shorts to reveal the thigh tattoo as well because you know there's no point in having a tat if you can't show off. So, I'm I'm currently wearing Muay Thai shorts everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's good. Uh, but yeah, speaking about uh, Muay Thai, one of the topics we want to talk about today is about having, obviously yourself, you train uh, mixed martial arts, you do Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. That's yeah. Those will be your sort of physical outlets. Myself, I train uh, BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on a weekly basis. Well, not so much anymore given uh, with the whole coronavirus. But um, one of the things we wanted to talk about, I think, is really important, is, and, in, and especially during this period where you know, spirits are sometimes a bit low and you know, people are, might be served to have, they would need some type of release, uh, whether it's stress or whatever, um, about having some type of outlet. It doesn't necessarily have to be physical, it could be creative as well. Um, so yeah, we want to talk about the sort of, how do you think, you know, having a, an outlet, um, whether it's physical or creative outlet like this podcast, um, helps you in your sort of day-to-day life? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a, it's something I've been thinking a lot about in the last year or so, right? Because, you know, I spend a lot of my time training and that's obviously a big part of my life. And, and so to speak about the physical hobby, um, you know, the, the sporting outlet, as it were, like when I don't train, I start to feel a bit down. I start to like maybe fall into more negative habits, right? Like maybe my, my diet will go to shit. Maybe my mood will be low. Maybe I'll be less motivated to like do everyday stuff, especially at a time now, when you know there's there's a lot of disruption to normal routine you know it's really important to try and keep like consistent good habits so i found generally speaking like having having an athletic endeavor to do every day is just like an absolute essential you know even if it's something as simple as like getting some stretching in the morning but having the routine and consistency to go training that is just everything to me i found myself kind of getting pigeonholed right because i found like all i was doing my time was doing this this kind of physical activity which is which is great um, but I thought that I didn't have anything creative going on in my life, right? Because I always thought like I'm doing this physical thing and your creative side is a different part of your personality and your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was trying to be creative and, and I, like I bought an electric keyboard last year. I was like, oh, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn piano, I'm going to learn play piano. I've used it once. It's under my bed right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> collecting dust. Yeah, man, collecting dust. So um, actually starting this podcast with you and, and doing this on a consistent basis, which, you know, I would say is creative uh, has has been really good for me uh, to explore outside of my personality because I'm a kind of person who in the past I've struggled to kind of put myself out there creatively because I think you're opening up a lot of vulnerabilities when you do that right because you're open to criticism and you know self-doubt and stuff so you know whereas if you do a jiu-jitsu competition you train for however many months you go to the competition if you do well you win a medal if you don't do well you don't win a medal you know it's very like you know you know the outcome right once it's done Mm. Whereas yeah. with this, you put it out there into the ether and you're, you're kind of almost depending on people to, to give you feedback or you're worried they hate it. So 
Um, stepping outside of my comfort zone and doing doing this as a creative outlet has been great for my sort of almost like self-esteem or like uh, confidence, right? So so yeah, twofold really. The physical is just absolute essential for me. Um, and, and like the creative one is a bit more uh, a new addition, but I find they're both really valuable. I mean, I, I, I have to agree 100%. I think for me, um, I mean, generally, I don't think I'm someone that I'm relatively laid back and, but then... You never really know when you're stressed. Like sometimes it's uh, it can be this niggling sensation, and you might not know really that it's there. But but then you'll feel it when you go to bed, and you're just like, Ugh, and you're just there's just this like weight that is on you, or feel that it's on you. Um, for me, what the jujitsu does, um, having that physical outlet is, well, first of all, learning a martial art, learning some, you know, being disciplined, having a routine, and having you know happy to go to training every week. That's something for me i didn't really have in my life like for a long period of time i was never really good at sticking at anything um i'll pick up you know class or something here or there and i was i wasn't consistent but when i found something like jujitsu i had it felt like i had this sort of affinity or some you know some type of connection with it and i really enjoyed it and i enjoyed i was getting my ass kicked don't get me wrong it wasn't like i was i came and i was i was some uh, prodigy i was i was getting my ass handed to me but it was just i left happy and I left, uh, I've learned something. I left with a sense of, you know, gaining some type of knowledge. It's also as well, you mentioned about the competitive stuff. Like I'm naturally quite a competitive person. Uh, and having that opportunity to, to compete against another person is, there is something really, pr- and I, a lot of people don't like doing it. A lot of people don't like competing. And that, and to be honest, I, I'm, I get really nervous about doing that sort of thing as well. But putting myself in those kind of, difficult positions or putting myself in uh um in that uh, sort of not comfort zone basically Mm. um i think is 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 important for growth as a as an individual and also like you're learning self-defense like you're learning how how to defend yourself which is i think is fundamental i think i think most people should have some type of base understanding of how to defend themselves and it's also really good for me in the sense of being part of a community or being part of like a community of people that have a shared interest which is always something nice, like, you know, um, people, they might like Dungeon and Dragons or they might like, uh, you know, Warhammer or whatever it is, or, the, you know, PlayStation or whatever. That's awesome because you feel like a, the reason why those things work really well, or like Reddit, for example, or any sort of social community, the reason why those things work really well is because that's that's part of our, you know, reptilian, that's part of our brain, basically, that we want to we want to have a sense of belonging, most of us anyway. And I find jiu-jitsu and, and training martial arts, that that's, does something to me. I feel part of a, a group. Um, I'm learning a, lot, a bunch of stuff too, but it's also that I'm, I'm doing it alongside other people, my teammates, and, and we're all kind of working together in order to get to a kind of a goal and we're all making each other better as well and any good any good team any good group of guys is that's that's going to be the case so i think that's what i get from it and then we talked about the podcasting i and i i could literally as you were saying it i was i was feeling it was like you were speaking my mind like i didn't have that creative outlet necessarily i had the physical down but i didn't have anywhere where i was um being open about like you said it perfectly they're, they're two separate um, channels of energy if you like and when i was able to kind of sit down and you know creating a graphic obviously um we, we've got a lot of help with uh, from kim um but just even that like creating that putting something into the world that didn't it was previously didn't exist and just making it and then pulling it out there to be reviewed and people liked it 
um, or you know, making an episode and you know, people giving feedback. That's been really good for me. I felt really motivated, like to want to do more. What you said about having a team, I, I didn't think about that, but that's actually a huge part of it, right? Because moving around, moving over here to the US and when I lived in Korea as well, like I went to jiu-jitsu as a place to meet people. I went there because I wanted to do jiu-jitsu, but the people I ended up befriending were connected to jiu-jitsu. And this allowed me to build friendship networks and, and community out here. And and that's something that was made possible by going to the gym and training and, and, and working with these people. And it's funny because... I think jiu-jitsu brings such a um, a disparate group of people together. You know, I hear that there's people who maybe in an everyday walk of life would never associate with each other, at least at my gym, right? And and I, I think that's a beautiful thing where you can have, you know, a, a variety of different people from different backgrounds all kind of working towards a similar goal. Do you know what I mean? 100%. I mean, even in my class alone, you've got people who are IT technicians, you've got laborers, you've got um you know office workers you've got young people you've got old people you've got uh, middle-aged you've got men women uh, different backgrounds different different um yeah all of that stuff and and yeah all of them there together and one of the one of the funniest things as well that I actually noticed in my gym is that we all rock up and I know you when you you know when you train with people you'll know this yourself and people who out there that do um any type of physical martial art you know, you're training with these people day in, day out. You get to know them on an intimate level in terms of like, you know, when you're gra- when you're sparring, you know, these are quite, these moments are like very personal. Is that person quitting? Is that person showing their perseverance? Like these are, these are highly, um, you know, uh, important moments or like in terms of like defining, character defining moments. Yeah. But I didn't like, I train with these people week in, week out. I don't even know what they do for work, half of them. Like, do you right. know what I mean? Like, I, I don't have these, like, conversations. I don't know anything about I don't know what they like for, to drink. I don't know. I don't know their favorite meal. I don't know all this, like, personal stuff about them. But I literally go there week in, week out, and we're all, you know, grappling around together for, for two hours. And it's just, uh, yeah, I, it really dawned on me when, when, <laughs> when we were training. And, and someone asked me, he goes, Sophie, what do you do for work? And I was mm-hmm. like... I was like, yeah, well, <laughs> and I've been training. You don't know. Him, you, you don't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, exactly. It's just, um, I found that fascinating. And it, when it dawned on me, I was like, it's crazy, isn't it? That I spend all this time with these people and we barely know each other, but we do know each other at the same time. But it's, I think it, I think it speaks a lot to um, what is and what isn't important about a person because, you know, in a lot of other walks of life, you meet somebody, it's like, oh, where are you from? What do you do? You know, this is very superficial questions, which we think give us a, a, a portrait of a person, right? But actually, these are not character traits. These are just things that they do in their life. When you're training with somebody, and obviously we can use the example of jiu-jitsu because it's something that we both experience. But when you're training with people day in, day out, and you, and, uh, you said you're seeing their tenacity, their will, you know, these really revelatory um, moments, it paints a much clearer picture of who they are as people and you don't need to get into the, the the superficial surface level things about your job and how many kids you got you know what i mean that's stuff that's nice to know once you get to know somebody on a different more more personally or they want to share more information with you but yeah what you learn about yourself and each other on the mats yeah is i've been very stop start of jiu-jitsu right i've had like time off because of injuries and, and whatnot um but it's the one thing that i keep coming back to and and for me that tells me that it's something i really care about because you know, similarly, I've had a really hard time at sticking with things. I get bored with things easily. And um, so for me, yeah, it's always kept me engaged. Yeah, so it got me thinking about how I first got introduced to the sport. Um, 
and it was actually through you right and it's funny because i didn't really know what jiu-jitsu was and i really didn't have an interest in mma so much through our friendship you got me a lot more interested in mma and as a result i think jiu-jitsu came up on my radar and i remember we went to the first class well my first class i'd ever went to was uh the gym in st albans and um i can't remember what the drill was but basically you like i was in your garden you armbarred me Oh yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. What magic? What sorcery? I was like, how is this? What is this? I didn't even know any I was like, how did this happen? I was like, this is cool. This is a cool thing. And I, I used to ride my bike down to St. Albans to, to to go to the gym there. And it was like I, I, I got really into it. Then I broke I don't remember I broke my toe. I do remember that man. Yeah, yeah your toe yeah. was broke up. Literally, Bruh. he showed me his picture and it was like bent the other way. But but yeah, that's actually how I got introduced to it. So it's funny because it took me being in a position I'd never been in to be kind of intrigued by this sport, right? It took me to experience something that I'd never even experienced to be like, wow, well, this is something I want to check out. So, mm. yeah, whenever whenever I kind of fall off a little bit, I just keep thinking to myself, I've got to get back on the bike and just keep plugging away. And, like, you know, it's cool because I know, obviously, we have belt levels and stuff, but I think even black belts say that, you know, that's just the beginning for them, right? Once they get that black belt, there's still, you know, years and years and years of growth to go. So... That always motivates me thinking like, you know, this, this is like a never ending journey. It's uh, it is great. I, I mean, I had a similar experience in terms of my first introduction to it. I'll never forget. I got taken there by um, our, our hallmate, Tommy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, I got partnered up with this guy. And at the time, I, you know, I was going to the gym. I was like, I was feeling myself. I was like, yeah, man, I'm strong. Like, And I knew I had an understanding of like boxing and stuff like that. So, which obviously has no, bears no semblance to it. But at the time I was like, you know, I think I'll be, I think I'll be all right. And this guy, he couldn't have been, I don't know how, how, how he was much smaller than me, but you know, within 10 seconds he had, he changed my life pretty much. Like he just like, he was wrapping me up and doing all this crazy stuff. And I was like, whatever this is, I need to learn it basically. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's funny that, that, that whole, like, and you'll always remember the first time you did it as well. You remember, remember that first experience. And always stick with you. And, and that's why for me personally, like getting back training despite COVID has been like a blessing really because I feel like it's really given me a part of my life. And actually because of that, I feel like I've got a level of normalcy that a lot of people don't have. So when I think to myself, oh, this isn't so bad, I think I've got a disproportionate uh, view of the situation because I'm I'm still kind of doing something that's really important to me, whereas most people aren't. Mm. So I guess in that way, I'm A, a criminal and B, really lucky. So. <laughs> We talked yeah. earlier about the whole um, knowing people on a superficial level. I think that kind of leads on to something else I'm re- re- interested in talking about to you. So we talked about social media in the first episode, kind of briefly. We kind of glazed over it. The impact of social media on relationships, and that can be from, you know, whether it's your family, whether it's a partner, whether it's your friends. When you said about learning, knowing about people on a su- superficial level and, like, people on social media generally... They kind of put the best versions of themselves out there. People people like to do that anyway. They like to put the best versions of themselves out there, which is perfectly natural because that's what everyone wants to do. And then what happens is, I mean, those images or those stills, they're essentially reference points that, you know, people like you, you and myself will see, we'll have a snapshot of and we'll be like, whoa, that person's life looks pretty cool. Or that person's life is this, or they, oh, they've got an amazing body. How do they get that? And it creates this kind of like hyper-reality basically, or how you don't necessarily put into the mind of like what that person's had to have done in order to get to that position. Um, in terms of all the hard work or whatever they've, they've, uh, they've had to put in. 
what do you think social media and you know that side of it whether it's instagram or facebook or whatever um what are the kind of effects that that can have on a relationship uh, all the different types of relationship you could have with another human being you know what you said about um you know looking at somebody's life on social kind of almost envying that person it's so real right and so it's funny one of the things that my granny told me when i was a kid that stuck with me of all the moral lessons she gave me she's like it was like don't be jealous of what anyone has got because you don't know what they had to do to get it i i, I make sure i never look at somebody's life on social media and be like oh that looks like you know like they, they're living life or whatever because like you, said, you really don't know and like it is a very highly curated uh lifestyle i don't post a lot on instagram right i mostly post pictures of traveling so if, if i'm only, only posting pictures of traveling and you look at my instagram you think oh he travels all the time I mean, I was yeah. posting pictures in, in, in May that I took in December, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so I think you always have to be careful to take it, whatever you see on there with a pinch of salt. And just the, the more and more we get into this world of social media, because I mean, look, it's still a new phenomenon, right? And I think we haven't necessarily learned the, the social norms around it. So I think it's, it's really important to keep it in mind all the time that this is like a, a like I said, a hyper reality. I love that word. I guess like with relationships, man, it's funny because it's a double-edged sword, right? Because I feel personally that like social media allows me to keep relationships alive. There might be people I haven't spoke to, you know, had a proper conversation for three years, but we're friends on social media so I can interact with their life. They can interact with my life. We drop each other a hello every now and then via instant messaging. Um, and it just keeps, it keeps ticking along. Because if you try to think about someone who's not on social media, who you don't have on social media, but you consider a friend, it is a different ball game because you're really out of the loop with what's going on in their life, right? Mm. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, you know, so so I think on that hand, it's really good for keeping relationships alive. Um, but I think it also limits the depth a relationship can have sometimes because it stays on this platform or it stays on this very like interactive basis where you see a picture, you like it. And that's almost like an affirmation of friendship. Like, oh, I like you. Cool, nice one. Here, have a like, right? <laughs> and it, it does. It also it almost detracts from the need to pick up the phone and call somebody. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's it's, you know, that's a uh, it's the perfect um, on Instagram. I sort of remember I seen a meme image where it's like I love the like message uh, feature on Instagram because I can end a conversation by just liking a message. <laughs> so it's just like you yeah. can just be like someone says something, you just like like it. Yeah. Woo, that was done. That's it. That's, yeah. all I have to, that's all I have to do. But yeah, no, hundred percent, I agree with you in the in the you know, when you were talking about um you can keep a lot of you can stoke the fires if you like of a of, of a relation many many different relationships by one post or just by various messages that you can you can do but then but then you also said about the you know what's the quality of those relationships um what's the purpose essentially um but you know it's yeah i think for me one of my biggest you know I don't want to say gripes necessarily, but it, it is the whole um, with social media and particularly with like Instagram. It is, um, it's just, yeah, people don't, what your nan said about, you know, you don't know what that person had to do in order to get to that position. Um, I couldn't agree more. And it's also that snapshot or that picture of them, you know, doing whatever, you know, whether it's on a beach somewhere or it's with their girlfriend or with their wife, like all happy. That is, that's a snapshot. That's a still image that moments later after that, that moment, they could have been shouting at each other or, um, they could have, uh, it could have rained that perfect scene at the beach. 
a cloud could have came over and completely destroyed it or a tornado i'm 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 hyperbole i'm using hyperbole but i'm saying that all these images i think people forget when they're looking at them they they are curated and they are doctored and they are ultimately i don't want to use the word fake because they're not fake they can be very real and that that could be a real seminal moment in someone's life that they wanted to capture but the kind of side effect of that is that it creates sometimes tension or stress, you know, for some people who take those moments or who view these moments as that person's whole existence. So if I'll give you an example. Let's say, you know, someone's in a relationship um, and they see that their friends are, you know, they're posting pictures with their partner, always happy, you know, going for meals here, going doing this, going on holidays here. And they're like, well, I don't have that in my relationship. So something must be wrong or, you know, or, you know what's the deal there why am i not getting that and and that 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 could eventually that could put pressure on that relationship between those two people so that's something that i have i guess a little bit of a gripe with but all in all like i don't want to be here and you know completely berate social media because that's not what i'm here to do we're able to share this this podcast through various platforms that 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 you know social media is excellent for so but at the same time it, it, there are we, we do have to pay mind and attention to the to the negative uh, side effects is my only point, I guess. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, right? So the difference between the social media era and the era that existed prior to this, right, is that we're obviously accessible 24-7. It's such a weird dynamic because for the first time, you're completely accessible any time of day. So basically, I had a situation with a friend of mine well, a few days ago, right? And she lives in another country. And in our relationship, I play the role of sort of advisor. Like she comes to me for a lot of advice and like almost like a shoulder to cry on. Like she's a friend and I'm happy to play that role for her because she'll do the same for me. But she's going through a bit of a rough patch at the moment. She's not in her home country. So she's a bit you know, struggling with the COVID situation. She has a tendency to like just call me out the blue. How telephones have worked forever is that you just get a phone call. You don't know it's coming. No one messages you and says, I'm going to call. They just call. But it's got to a point now where if somebody, for her to call me out of the blue, it almost felt invasive, right? So I had to message her that I can't take the call right now. I'd been, you know, working from home all day. I was in the middle of doing something. And it led to a bit of like a, a tension between us where she felt like I wasn't being a good friend. And I was like, well, how can you not understand that I can't be at your beck and call? And, you know, it wasn't her fault. It wasn't that she was being selfish. It wasn't my fault. I wasn't being a bad friend. It was just the fact there was this like weird sort of expectancy around being accessible at all times which yeah. you know we're still navigating that. and for me so i really don't like it man and it's weird because like we use instant messaging platforms where it's like okay if you send me a message and i and i read it well it's going to tell you that i've read it right if i don't respond within 10 minutes it might be because i'm doing something else right mm -hmm. but when i'm on the other end of that and i've sent a message that's been read and not replied to i'm like why are they ignoring me am i a dickhead they don't like me da, 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 da. It's, it's so unhealthy right because like yeah. you may have read it but why do I have that expectancy that you're going to respond? As you were talking, it brought into, for some reason, into my mind about um, that conversation that Elon Musk had on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast to bring up our Lord and Savior again, Joe Rogan, <laughs> um, where Elon Musk was talking about how we're, we're like prototype androids, prototype. Yeah. basically. Yeah, we're like prototype androids or cyborgs in that like our, our cell phones, they, they, we have like missing limb, limb syndrome where we, if we leave our phone somewhere, we can't find it. We feel like something is missing. 
basically it's got to that point where there's so so much connection between us and our devices yeah it almost it's all that's missing is like a, a link basically a neural link basically between us and our phones yeah so and i think that's part of the problem we have these devices that have a sort of um if you like a, a physical presence uh, or essence of us captured on the social media platform which which you know which is indicative of that you know that person reaching out they see lewis they see all their profile and they reach out and they want to call or they want to do this and basically what i'm just trying to say is that we haven't got to the point where we're ready to receive that amount of data coming in essentially we're not ready to receive a call or a text from somebody or and, and completely give our response in that moment we could be doing something else and the, the our presence on social media um it creates the false impression or it creates the false signal that we are readily available at all times um for communication and that isn't necessarily the case as you highlighted you know you know it's comp completely um, normal for someone to leave their phone at home or when they're going out for a walk or they leave their phone in their pocket or their phone's on silent um, but yet we feel this sense of entitlement that um hey look i've messaged you there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be able to because i've been able to find the time to message you or call you um there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be able to do the same in kind um which is i kind of see the point but at the same time i'm like you know people got shit to do you know yeah, but that's the thing. It's so far removed from the way we have communicated throughout history, right? Like, it's such a new um, development in the way we communicate because it's like face-to-face -face communication. There's so much information that goes into that, right? There's so much detail that goes into it. There's so much that that a person with even a modicum of intellectual, uh, emotional intelligence would be able to pick up on. Oh, I've said this and you kind of winced a bit. You didn't like the joke I made or you don't like the inference or... You know, and I'll pick up on that. And there's a, a dance. Conversation is a dance that we, we do. It's a trade-off of signals. And, and that's how we make good conversation or, or conversation that something can come from, right? And that's how we've always communicated. The way we do it now is so far removed from that. It takes away the element of, of the, it takes the interpersonal away. We have emojis to convey emotion, right? Because what I write could be taken so many different ways. So if I put the, you know, the side-eye emoji, you know, I'm taking it with a pinch of salt. But if I'm, if I send you the eggplant emoji, it means something else. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? We, yeah. we have to use these things to convey convey meaning beyond just the words itself. And it just gets so problematic, man, especially when you're talking about something that is that is not clear cut. When you're talking about a feeling or you're talking, you know, it, it's weird, man. It, it really is weird. Even talking, even sometimes it can be difficult expressing feelings or your thoughts and emotions in person with someone. So, you know, adding a um, layer of complexity and another sh another barrier, which is, you know, people want to, people want to have heart to hearts over text or, you know, or phone calls where all that stuff is kind of like not visible, which is, you know, you're right. It's very difficult to convey those types of emotions let, in person, let alone with, a, you know, with all these different barriers in place. But uh, what, so you use the eggplant emoji quite often then or... <laughs> No, <laughs> it's funny, bro. <laughs> you, you know what's funny? You know, we talk. <laughs> so I don't want to get too much into the dirt here, but there's certain things of like the modern sort of lifestyle 
um, like sexting and, and, and Tinder and all that, yeah. that I've actually never been, I, I completely missed it. I've been in a relationship since Tinder dropped essentially. So like, I right. never really used it. I've never, you know, I've, I've Tindered vicariously through friends. I've watched them do it and, and yeah. stuff, but yeah, I've never done it. So I haven't sent many eggplant emojis. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. That's yeah, an aubergine for our European listeners. Yeah, that's it, aubergine. With everything that's been going on with with you know the slowdown our lives have faced in the last couple of months, right? I did make it a goal of mine to be more in contact with people that I haven't, you know, those friends who I I, I want to get on the phone to and chat to for an hour and say hey, what's what's going on, catch up, and I haven't got round to it for a year, two years, or whatever. And um, I mean, we've been in that situation ourselves, right? It would have been a couple of years. Then we get on the phone. We spend three hours on the phone, right? Yeah. So there's people that I thought, well, I'm going to take this time to reach out. And because of the, the sort of social media elements, I was able to do that. And there's been a few people who I've, who I've reconnected with, and it felt really good to do that. And I have 800 friends on Facebook, right? All right, mate. All right. I mean, yeah. Sorry. Pretty big bollocks over here. <laughs> you know, that's that's a network of people that if I'm, oh look, you know, this guy on my master's course from Japan, he got married recently. Mm. Congratulations. I, you know. I wouldn't have known that if I didn't see him on Facebook. I don't talk to him regularly, but I could say congratulations, have a nice life together. Oh, and then if I happen to be in Tokyo next year, I can hit him up and be like, oh, like, do you want to get fucking sushi yeah. or whatever? <laughs> so, so it does, I mean, and, and I've definitely benefited from from having people on Facebook and having that that digital network of people around the world where I can, I can tap into it and, you know, connect at a, at a random time. So it's, it's definitely a pro, but yeah, I just, I just feel like the, the expectancy of accessibility is just a bit too much for me, man. At 18, 19, 20, maybe the sort of like social life and being friends with everyone is so important because I know for me it was right. And I used to put, you know, man, when I go back on Facebook and I do Facebook memories and I see some of my statuses, I die inside, man. I cringe. <laughs> the right? cringe is real, man. <laughs> oh, because the things, the things that I used to, the things that I used to post about, right? I thought people were still figuring out Facebook and what it was used for. And I used to put stuff in there. I'm thinking like, no one cared about that. But Lewis is eating a sandwich at 8 p.m. Well, let, let's have a look, right? Let's have a look. <laughs> let's have a look, right? Lewis, um, Lewis just went to the toilet. Okay, 25th of May, 2014, New Orleans, Louisiana. There's a picture I took, right, of a of a neon sign called Fritzl's European Jazz Club. Fritzl's, and I put the caption, heard the basement is great. <laughs> I should, I, I mean, should have been laughing. <laughs> is it? We can laugh at this point, right? Surely about something like that. It's been, well, it's been long enough, isn't it? It's like ten years. It's been a few years, so, but <laughs> here's the thing: we are laughing at an imprint, like an incestuous. I don't want to get into it. Let's not get into it. Let's not. Let's not yeah, let's yeah. Not but but why did I think it was necessary to make that joke? Because like, everyone, look how funny I am. I made a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 25th of May 2013. Arjun Robin is a wanker and would gladly anyone settle it. Shit head. Arjun Robin, so, that's a Dutch football player, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Arjun Robin is a wanker and I would gladly anyone else settle it. Shit head. What? Okay, cool. Okay, oh, this is a bar. Okay, so did he fuck more, up your more. accumulator or something? What Listen, yeah, he did. Listen to it. This is this one. You're going to love this one. You're going to love this one. <clears throat> Muller appealing for a penalty. I think he settled for a corner. <laughs> bars, bars for days. <laughs> what am I talking about? How can I be cringing about these? These are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
mean, excellent. I mean, so so okay. This is actually a pretty good selection. This is actually not a bad one. Okay, okay. Here's one bit of controversy here. So after the BBC censored Free Palestine on the radio and internet, they have released a statement explaining it. All BBC programmes have a responsibility to be impartial when dealing with controversial subjects and an edit was made to the artist free... St- okay, that's boring. Anyway, point is, bruv, there's some of them that are really cringe, right? Yeah. And and I think, well, what you know, what the fuck was I doing on social media? I don't even know how we got down this rabbit hole. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay, one more. Okay, I'm scrolling down. Okay, 25th of May, 2008. Lewis is wondering how his room got this bad. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking nerd. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> Fuck me. Anyway, when I look at that stuff, I'm like, geez, what was I thinking? Why do I use Facebook in that way? Um, yeah, so basically, I used to use Facebook for anything. I used to post it all the time. And I used to get into the heated debates about things. I remember when the Joseph Coney thing happened, right? Everyone's like, oh, Joseph Coney, he's making little African kids shoot other little African kids. It's so bad. It is bad. But I was like, you know, I thought I was this really woke. Like, I'd watched a couple of YouTube videos. I was like, nah, man, this Coney thing, it's not even that big a deal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, And then, and then like, six months later when nobody was talking about it, I was like, what about Coney? Like, no, no one's talking about Coney anymore. Open your mind. You don't see the bigger picture. It's like people would argue with me, they'd fight with me. I'd get into arguments about everything on Facebook. I would rather bang my head against this door I'm looking at right now than get on an argument on Facebook now because I just don't care. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And you're talking with the lowest common denominator. Normally, when you go on those like chats, like you're talking with people who are absolutely just, yeah, just... they That's all they have, basically. They just want to get into a debate. They want to get an argument and, and... they feel yeah, some sense of power when they've got one up on you, basically, in those, okay. in those sense of things. So, yeah, I'm the same, man. I try to veer away as much as possible from... I prefer just to watch from the outside, like just look at YouTube. Man, YouTube comments and, like, that is a cesspool of the internet, basically. And the, the, fact that you can, the fact that you can go there and just see these little debates that happen, I, I prefer just to peer my just appear in slightly and not, and not <laughs> get involved, not get too close to the toxic waste that is a fucking YouTube comment. So, yeah, man, 100%. I, um, yeah, yeah, it's mad. If you don't want to get dragged into fucking arguing on Facebook, here's how you win. Start a fucking podcast because I can <laughs> as much shit as I want and you can't argue back with me. That's it. Start a podcast. And you know what? Yeah, it was interesting. One of my friend, I'm not, I don't want to take credit for this idea, but the fact that YouTube is not anonymous and like people can basically, and Facebook is anonymous in the sense that you can create an account that isn't necessarily you, but you can leave comments on YouTube completely anonymously and you have, and you're pretty much above reproach in that, like you could, yeah, you could, your comment can get blocked or whatever, but you can say whatever the fuck you want pretty much. Man. And how mad would it be if you were able to post like that on Instagram or Facebook, like say whatever the fuck you wanted to your friend or whoever, like, or wherever it is, but do it anonymously. And they could, they could not tell who you were. Like what, what would that look like? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, you could, if you could do that. Could you imagine? It meant, yeah. <laughs> it'd be crazy. Have a, have a, uh, Steady on the on the mince pie, Cheryl. Looks like you've put on a bit of weight this Christmas. <laughs> like what? <laughs> You're so tough. Think about it. Yeah? Like 
I, I think we're both nice people. Where I would like we wouldn't go out of your way to make somebody feel bad on the internet. Mm. But there's like 14 year old kids who have like their whole life is based on what their friends think of them. If that, if that, like we know cyberbullions real as it is, right? It's a terrible thing that's like affecting a lot of young people. Yeah. Like the fact that you can say the most shitty things to someone online and not have to deal with the in-person repercussions just blows my mind because like, you know, listen, if you walk up somebody's street, be like, oh mate, oh, okay, perfect example, right? <laughs> pro fighters. You know how shit people talk about pro fighters, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna walk up to Andy Pest. Be like, listen, mate, you're a bit of a fucking quitter, right, Pest? <laughs> I, I personally don't think that was the biggest shit talk. I mean, I, I know you've seen stuff online where it's a lot worse, right? Yeah, of course. And you just think to yourself, you're a, you're you're a fat fuck. Like, don't you can't talk shit about these pro fighters because they will. I mean, you can criticize. I, I make a draw distinction. You can criticize. You can say it wasn't a good performance. I was nothing impressed by your performance. But like to be like, oh, they're soft, they're a pussy. Oh, he's scared, he's scared. Adesanya's scared of, you know, Romero. Of Romero, yeah. Well, All right then, mate. Okay, mate. So, yeah. The, the anonymity kills me, man. Like people, yeah, people just get away with things online because they can, right? I guess the, the keyboard warrior phrase. Um, yeah. But yeah, judging by my my previous Facebook statuses, I might have been one of those people. So, <laughs> there you go. Biggest, one of the biggest trolls oh, on the man. road. Man. And this is not a curated sample. So this is just a, a from May 25th of the last 12 years. Like these are just randoms. You know what I mean? I don't know. Anyway. anyway. Um, so yeah, social media, bad. Don't use it. <laughs> Stay in school. Stay in school. Get podcasts like us. <laughs> we're not, we're not necessarily saying anything new, which are, you know, or novel, like all this stuff are, we we know about the the dangers of social media and you know cyberbullying and uh, expectation versus reality, but I think yeah I, it's just important to be cognizant of all these things. We 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 can say we're aware, but you know that's that's very different to does it still affect us or not? Um, in our heart of hearts, do we still get affected by um, you know the pressures of social media and all that sort of stuff? So which I think is a very real thing. Um, so it's good even just for myself, like to, to, to have a, have an open dialogue about it and, um, and just be weary or, or just be more aware of myself and some of the conversations that go on in, in my head about like, Oh, why am I feeling this way about this post? Or why am I feeling this way about this comment that someone made about me? And should I actually be bothered by it? Should I actually let it get into my, um, to my thinking? It's important to just to be aware of that, just to to make sure you're keeping one eye on um, how much you're engaging with social media and how much you're letting that affect your psyche. Yeah, definitely. I think taking, I guess they call it like a digital detox, you know, having the opportunity or, or giving yourself the opportunity to maybe delete the app for a while. Don't use Instagram, right? Because, bruv, like I'm speaking for myself here. Tell me if you're the same, but I, I was going for a stage probably up until Christmas where I would wake up, right? And I would pick up my phone straight away, straight onto Instagram. I would scroll for about three minutes and it was like, uh, it was mechanized. Like I just did it automatically. And then during the work day, I'd pick it up maybe 20, 50 times a day, scroll, 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 put it down. It was like an instant reaction. I use it to fill space. I'd use the scroll as like, um, as like a filler almost, right? Mm -hmm. And it just felt like such an unhealthy habit. So, I, you know, in January I made the decision to spend two months off of social media. I, my account was still active, but I didn't have the apps, which meant I couldn't just pick up the phone and scroll. 
Now, on one hand, I think to myself, well, you're weak, right? Because you didn't have the restraint to keep the app, but just not check it. You had to remove it from yourself. Um, but that's the same reason why I don't buy like potato chips, because if I have a bag in the house, I'm going to eat it all, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, know, know, know the problem. And and if you take steps and measures to completely eradicate it and remove it from your life, that's that's better than keeping the temptation there, 100%. Because... Yeah. At the end of the day, man, they, these companies, they're spending millions and millions and millions of pounds of res on research on how to make these things as addictive as possible, as addictive as possible. Even to the point of like scrolling, the motion of scrolling down is, you know, that is why gambling on slot machines is really addictive because you're, it's that motion of up down. That is a very easy motion to do. And that's why things like flicking through your, your feed it's just very easy, repetitive, and easy to do. And it's also about like how um, conditioning works and how like random scheduled reinforcement of a behavior. So because the the prospect of getting a message is completely random um, and it's not scheduled, i.e., oh, you're going to get a message every hour. And because it's random, that's what keeps you keep checking your phone. Like, have I got a message? Have I got a thing? That's what's that because of that random reinforcement that increases motivation to check your your phone whether you've got a message or your email or whatever so we have to remember that as well like these things are purposely built to get our attention and to occupy our time and um, neurologically like neurologically triggering things that are going to make us have a reaction to something right make us do something yeah, exactly so what, what did you call it it's called reinforce uh random uh it's like reinforce i read it in a i read it in a book about it's um random reinforcement i think it's called or operant conditioning right yeah it's crazy because yeah, that's it I, I i always tend to look at it from like a uh an emotive point of view right like people would check because like you know i said those likes of validation those messages are validation those flame emojis on your breakfast are validation right so i thought maybe i was checking because i wanted to like you know i was seeking that validation or someone you know has someone like my picture or was, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I didn't think of it beyond, you know, my own sort of um, psyche. But when you frame it like that, there's actually like scientific neurological, I don't know, pathways that they, they trigger by doing it. I, I never thought of that. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued because when you talk about the swiping motion, I also think of like, you know, we already mentioned Tinder, but that uses a, a very similar um, sort of um user interface right it's the swipe in motion to 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 choose potential uh vic dates and um <laughs> and um so i wonder if it's like as a, as a male below 40 living in the 21st century i think it's fair to assume you may have used dating apps would that be accurate that would that would be that would be accurate yes okay so, so um, no comment no comment <laughs> <laughs> um so do you, do you find like, for example, Tinder, I'm just going to put that one out there. You know, one, um, is there sort of an addictive nature to uh, Tinder or, or dating apps in general, right? And two, does it devalue relationships? In, in your experience, does it devalue the dating process or, or the individuals that you're meeting up with? <laughs> I need to not incriminate myself here. But the, fir the first question about the addictive nature, um, I would agree in the sense that all back to the the, the thing we talked about, the, the random um, scheduled re reinforcement uh, of, 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 of an event. That is what 
kind of brings people back to the app you know have i got a match is someone interested in me um and you and you keep on swiping or whatever it is to to try and find another connection so i mean in that sense yes i think it probably is is addictive um in terms of like it's how it's it's purpose built you know to keep the user engaged with the app um it's also addictive in the sense that i'm sure you get a nice release of um dopamine or whatever the chemical is in your brain when you have someone who matches on you and find that and, and they've matched you because they find you attractive basically physically because these apps aren't based on your personality you you see you see the face before you see anything else and again it comes back to these images that people put on these profiles they're not necessarily representative of of who they are in in actuality so it's um yeah i think i think yeah in 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 that it promotes uh in that it's built in a way purpose built to keep the user engaged yes definitely i would say that it's it is um, built to be addictive or to to be engaged with consistently um the other part about you know getting that affirmation or wherever it is that you know even if it's joe blogs down the corner lives five miles away he finds you attractive people might like people people are into that people like that they like they like feeling good about themselves they like feeling that they're attractive so maybe that that's why it's also addictive as well and the second part of the question was does it devalue relationships well for, yeah, what's your yeah. response to that what's your response to that part do you think there's any obviously you haven't you don't have any direct experience with that but like do you think there's any validity in that yeah so so the way i kind of I see it as another facet of social media, right? I kind of group it into the same thing as Instagram because essentially all you're doing is you're, you're scrolling down until you see something you like, right? Mm. And, um, you know, back in episode one, back in the day, the golden era of the show, <laughs> some people say, um, we spoke about the sort of idea of, um, you know, everyone has very curated consumption now, right? Like we can choose what we listen to, make a playlist or algorithm. YouTube's going to recommend this and that. And Netflix is, you know, it will tell you what's next, right? It's the same with the, the, the dating apps, right? It's like, I'm, I've got complete free reign over who I'm going to be seen and see by who's going to see me and who I'm going to see. You know, like I can vet a thousand women in one day to see if they're all men, whatever you're into, you know, listen, Foyogs, we love you all. We do your thing. It's all good. Love is love, right? Exactly. Um, try and get that sponsorship. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so you're vetting so many different potential partners. It's, it's complete unrealistic Um kind of experience similar to how Instagram is, right? You're just seeing hundreds of thousands of people's stories every day. Again, as, as someone who hasn't used it themselves, that's how I kind of perceive it. And yeah, the second thing, you know, you use the app, you, you know, see someone you like, Haley, 26 from Winchester. Does it devalue the date when you finally go and meet Haley from Winchester? Does it devalue the way you see her? Are you sort of put in a mind state of like, well, she's just, you know, one one of million fish in the sea, so I'm not too bothered if it doesn't work out. How, how does it work for you? I think it's it's really interesting with the whole, because um, naturally, you know, what would happen is you, let's say dating apps never existed. I mean, the way you normally meet someone is by happenstance. Like you meet someone randomly, um and all of them or at an event or something and then for whatever reason they catch your eye or you catch their eye conversation goes or you know so it might not necessarily be that that you know that perfect moment where you know sparks flew it could be that you know it naturally it started as a friendship and naturally progressed into something else so that was kind of how 
stuff, you know, how relationships were kind of formed, generally speaking. But now, with these apps, you can you can know someone intimately over a conversation um, and not even having met them. Like you could, you could, I you could learn about someone their their family, their upbringing. You could learn about um, you know what they find funny, what their interests, all this stuff just through conversation and you haven't actually met that person yet you like you haven't um sat down and had had an actual conversation with them face to face which i think is a, one of them you know fundamentally do you find them attractive do you um is this someone you know a person you're interested in talking to uh, for long periods of time face to face you know is there any chemistry and you can't really find that out until you actually meet them but i think what ends up happening is the kind of the whole dating thing is sometimes done in backwards with these dating apps in that you can find out a tremendous amount of information about somebody, depending on your purpose as to as to why you've gone on the app. Because you know, obviously they're called dating apps, um, but it's a bit of a misnomer in that some of them are a bit seedy, or some of them are they're not necessarily built with dating in mind. It's more just for uh, nothing long term, let's say. But then there are some that are purpose built with the with the in mind of like finding a meaningful relationship with somebody. So you could, in essence, fall in love or get really attracted to this idea of a person that you've built up in built up in your head. Um, you know, they they like this. They have similar interests. They do this, and then you you might meet that person, and perhaps you know it might be strong strong enough um, in your mind that 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 picture you built up in your mind of that person before you met them is is the most fundamental and important part. But it's. When I, when I say but it's done in backwards is that you learn a bunch of information, then you meet the person and sometimes for whatever reason, things don't work out or, but your actual question was, does it devalue the relationship? And I don't, I wouldn't say it necessarily devalues the relationship because of, you know, there's lots of success stories from these apps, but I guess what it does do is it makes the whole dating experience quite complicated and a bit murky and it adds another layer of we talked about social media and complexity and all this stuff in terms of communication and i think with dating apps it it adds another layer of just murkiness basically which is what maybe you're alluding to in terms of like does it make does it make the experience um less meaningful or natural so a friend of mine, but she uses dating apps and she went on a date with a guy and basically she said the date was going really well. And then he like started to massage her shoulder, like rub oh. her back and shoulder, like in a bar. And she was like, huh, okay, weird. Right. And I, th- I said to her, like, that's because he doesn't give a fuck about you. Right. And what I mean by that, this is my, my interpretation of it. It's like, you know, if you're going to do that to somebody, that's just like a bold move you're fully prepared for this person to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, it wasn't like they were kissing before. You've started rubbing their back. It's a weirdo thing to do if it's if it's perceived the wrong way. So the fact that you're willing to like take that pun tells me that you're like, well, you know, I'll shoot my shot. If it doesn't work out, then I'll just keep swiping. Yeah. Because you didn't, you didn't do the groundwork. You didn't see this girl in the library or church or Iceland and <laughs> or whatever and go for that thing of, oh, I really like her. I'll get my mate to ask her out or like, find a reason to talk to her and then ask her out and then you text back and forth for a while and then you finally meet and you all that expectation. No, it's just like, oh, swipe, found her, cool, it's going to date, cool, didn't work out, somebody else. Again, I could be completely wrong, I could be being a prude, I could be just had the wrong impression, but I do think like, 
I, I do foresee a situation where people don't put as much value on the people they're meeting on social on on, on apps, dating apps, because they're just like, fuck it, there's a million of them out there. A hundred percent, I'd agree. There is a there is a definitely. It's simple, you know. It's supply and demand, basically. It's like the more supply there is, and the more demand there is, and the lower the price goes. That's how it goes. I.e., the value that you put on that relationship. So if there's like a sea of people that are interested in you, interested in going on dates, then you, you know, I've got, I've got this one in the bag um, that I'm on a date with, but I've got five other waiting to chat with me. So yeah, that could definitely present problems in terms of how people view or how people value um connection with one another 100 percent um another thing as well with the whole supply and demand thing in terms of like the availability the readily availability of matches and people to talk to is it kind of at least in my experience it puts a unfair expectation on um what's to be expected like for example like if a girl's got and i'll I girl or a guy they've got 100 people waiting to message them and they all start with hey how are you or you know just a standard like good evening what's crackalacking blah 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 some of these people in there they've got the cheek to be like oh you're asking me hey like you need to come up with something a bit more interesting you know to get my attention and it's just like dance for me dance for me <laughs> yeah it's like dance for me. it's like listen yeah like if i met you in in like normal life saying hello to somebody is perfectly normal way to greet someone the fact that you want this like fucking Jazz, what do you want? A, a live fucking jazz band to play as I walk, as I like start to message you. Like, what, what is it? What is it you're looking for? And like, it's yeah, that's the thing. But that is, a, I think, that is a direct result of an uh, a surplus, a surplus of supply of people to talk to. So because there is this like so many people readily available to talk to, you and you're not required really to put an effort in, then yeah, it just makes you. It just makes expectations a lot higher in terms of what's what's required from the beginning and for the entirety of the relationship because that person could be like, well, I can fucking cut you loose because, you know, 10 other dudes or 10 other women want to chat with me. So, yeah, man, it definitely pre presents problems. And, and I don't think the... the um, because how dating apps started, it, before there were apps, there were, like, these proper sites that started, like, eHarmony and, like, Match.com and all these, like... They were like designed for like older working professionals that you paid a service and and you you know you um you know it was literally with the desired intention of finding a wife or finding a husband. But then since the apps have come in, it's kind of like the McDonald's to your like look at tin Tinder is a McDonald's and eHarmony is your you know Hawksmoor restaurant in London or whatever like it's this fast food version of of relationship apps that like it's like it's quick service i can quickly swipe on 100 people and i don't have to think about you know whether they match with me or not because it doesn't do any clever algorithm as to like oh you might like this person it literally shows you everyone in your vicinity you know so yeah um that's another thing that's uh, i think is interesting yeah i guess the connotations of, of online dating have changed over the years as well like um from what i understand back back 20 years ago or you know in the earlier days of the internet people almost felt a little bit uh, embarrassed about online dating initially. Um, but it really has like per permeated the mainstream now, right? It's become a, a real normal part of, of the culture to the point now where, yeah, date casual dating is done through use of technology. And yeah, I mean, it's like anything. We're, we're, we're at this real pivotal moment in the way we interact with technology. And there's a lot of, um, like I said, norms that haven't been figured out yet. I guess we, we haven't learned how to do it. And I guess the, the dating aspect's another one of it, right? 
how do we navigate this sort of um, endless endless uh, list of potential mates? Because mm. your grandparents definitely didn't have that. They had their pick of you know who's in the village, right? <laughs> or, or they didn't right. have their pick. <laughs> was... Or they didn't have their pick. <laughs> it's like, you're marrying exactly. him. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. That's, that's how yeah, it's going to yeah, be. <laughs> yeah. Swipe left, motherfucker. <laughs> The only swiping you're gonna do is swiping the twi- tears from your eyes, and you don't get to marry who you, you want. Uh, like I said, I haven't. It's not something I've experienced, um, and I'm in a very happy relationship. And I, I don't wish to experience online dating, Tinder. Yeah, no, definitely. You got it good. <laughs> do you actually remember? So the first time I ever saw Tinder was again from you. You showed me Tinder, um, and I remember you you downloaded it, and I remember like. I, I think I actually downloaded the app, but I never logged into it because I didn't know how. I just didn't do it. And then I ended up meeting my, my partner shortly after that. So I was just like, well, there you go. I don't need it. <laughs> jobs are good. How life would have been different. Jobs, oh, well, are good. Yeah, I mean, jobs are good. And... and all right, guys, as you know, uh, myself and Lewis have started a bit of a tradition of giving you guys some recommendations of, uh, well, it could be books, uh, movies, films, anything like that, um, that we found interesting and has impacted us. And we want to keep that tradition alive because um, a lot of you have said that you sort of, you, you like that segment. Lewis, do you want to go first with your recommendation? So I'm going to recommend a book that I'm currently reading um, called The Ottoman Endgame. And it details the um, sort of end of the Ottoman Empire and the the contributing factors to what caused that once great empire to fall towards the um, you know in the early part of the twentieth century. Um, I really like reading about empire in general, right? Especially involved in the Middle East because it's such an interesting part of the world, and we're still sort of finding out like geopolitical ramifications of it to this day. To this day. To this day. To this day. Okay. And um... <laughs> shout out Deontay Wilder. Shout out. He won't be able to hear you if he's still <laughs> bleeding out of his ear. <laughs> he's overrated. Uh, that's that's me talking shit to someone. See, would I say it to Dante Wilder? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the book's really cool. Um, I'm about 40 pages into it at the moment. And yeah, I really like it. That's a really shit description or something. Fuck me. I really like it because it's good. <laughs> this and... book is good. <laughs> <laughs> this book good. <laughs> read good book um it, it kind of strays away from being a boring like historical recount and it really does try to it has almost like journalistic um sort of angle to the way it tries to investigate the um the causes of the end of the empire so yeah i really recommend it if you're interested in the world and stuff cool so yeah that's my one the ottoman endgame i'll give that a look. who's it by man asking authors and shit i don't know <laughs> i don't know man i don't know man yeah it's the ottoman endgame by sean McMeekin. Okay. So, yeah. To give the full title, The Ottoman Endgame, War, Revolution, and the Making of the Modern Middle East, 1908 to 1923. Nice. For me, uh, I'm going to recommend a series that's on Netflix, and it's uh, called The Last Dance. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you seen it? I have not. Okay, wow. Okay. So The Last Dance, it's a a docuseries about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls uh, during their their championship success uh, as a team. So uh, from me, like this, all this stuff was going on pretty much 
just maybe just after I was born, around 1993 and just before. Um, so a lot of it, I was, I mean, I mean, everyone knows who Michael Jordan is. My only real exposure to Michael Jordan in terms of, you know, and my initial exposure to him was uh, Space Jam um, and like seeing him like play basketball. I was like, man, this guy's dope. But actually watching a documentary about the team and the success and the reason why it's called The Last Dance is because it's there, it was that it follows the events before and uh, before their last championship run um, uh, for the for the NBA title. Um, where they're basically that was the last game they played as a full team, and all the all the all the members of the team either retired or got disbanded. Um, and it's absolutely crazy. Like I think it's a ten episodes in total. All the episodes are out, so you don't have to wait around for it. And it's perfect to watch during a quarantine. Even if you're not really interested in sport, um, I think you can appreciate in terms of what Michael Jordan was and what he was symbolic of in all sports. Like he was. You know how, like in boxing, there's a there's a there's a there's a kind of argument of like who's the goat, who's the best, who's the greatest um, um, in a co- in an era. I think Michael Jordan at that point in time, he's un- he was unquestionably the best in his sport, um, and he completely dominated. And his his kind of mentality, his his super competitive mentality, it really comes across in in the documentary, um, full of crazy stories. Uh, like from with Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen and all the other players in the team. Um, and it's really well documented, really well laid out. The episodes kind of go back and forth on a timeline, which can be confusing at times, but in, all in all, it's an amazing documentary and it, and it teaches you a lot about, um, about the team and just, and just their individual personalities and what made them, you know, part of this sort of special, um, I mean, they'll 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 go down in they they are down in the annals of history of one of the most successful teams in all of sports. So, um, and everyone knows who Michael Jordan is. Like everyone everyone knows the logo on the Air Jordans on the Nike shoes. And yeah, it's just a fantastic uh, fantastic program. And I'd recommend even if you're not a sports fan, I'd recommend watching it. Thanks for the recommendation. I'm always interested in 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 um, documentaries that can kind of transcend topics. And obviously, we are both big sports fans, right? I'm not super into basketball, mm-hmm. but um, there are certain stories and certain characters throughout history of sports that are just transcendent, right? I think Muhammad Ali uh, is definitely one of those as well, where it doesn't matter if you know anything about the sport, you're 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 watching something that is describing the life of a great individual or a great team. And yeah, it definitely crosses the the sort of barriers of just being a sports show. I've actually heard really good things about that. So yeah, I don't know why I've not watched it yet, but... Um, yeah, I would definitely check that out, dude. Thank you. Okay, that's a wrap. Really had a lot of fun with today's episode and we fleshed out a lot of points. A bit more lighthearted than some of the more recent episodes. And yeah, just be sure, guys, to uh, keep showing your support and sending the feedback. We really appreciate it, both Lewis and I. Make sure you hit up us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Twitter. We're everywhere. Our faces are everywhere. Really appreciate when you do. I guess that's us signing off. I've been Sufjan. And I've been Lewis. And until next time, don't Don't draw and drive. drive. (laughs) 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 We're giving the mixed messages, (laughs) so don't text, don't draw, don't don't scribe, don't do any of that. Yeah, just drive. Just drive. Or don't drive. (laughs) Take take public transport. Take a bus. Take a actually no, don't. That's corona. Yeah, don't do any of that. Just stay at home. Just stay at home. 
Yeah, that's it. Go. Stay at home. Grow the garden. That's it. All right. 